Book One, Chapter Eight of the Lancashire Witches. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Andy Minter. The Lancashire Witches, A Romance of Pendle Forest, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Book One, Alison Device, Chapter Eight, The Revelation. On quitting the long gallery, Mistress Nutter and Alison ascended a wide staircase, and, traversing a corridor, came to an antique tapestried chamber, richly but cumbrously furnished, having a carved oak bedstead with sombre hangings, a few high-backed chairs of the same material, and a massive wardrobe, with shrine-work atop, and two finely sculptured figures of the size of life, in the habits of Cistercian monks placed as supporters at either extremity. At one side of the bed the tapestry was drawn aside, showing the entrance to a closet or inner room, and opposite it there was a great yawning fireplace, with a lofty mantelpiece and chimney projecting beyond the walls. The windows were narrow, and darkened by heavy transom bars and small diamond panes, while the view without, looking upon Whaley Nab, was obstructed by the contiguity of a tall cypress, whose funereal branches added to the general gloom. The room was one of those formerly allotted to their guests by the hospitable abbots, and had undergone little change since their time, except in regard to furniture, and even that appeared old and jaded now, what with the gloomy arras, the shrouded bedstead, and the gothic wardrobe with its mysterious figures, the chamber had a grim, ghostly air, and so the young girl thought on entering it. "'I have brought you hither, Alison,' said Mistress Nutter, motioning her to her seat, "'that we may converse without chance of interruption, for I have much to say. On first seeing you to-day, your appearance, so superior to the rest of the Mayday Mummers, struck me forcibly, and I resolved to question Elizabeth Device about you.' Accordingly, I bade her join me in the Abbey Gardens. She did so, and had not long left me when I accidentally met you and the others in the Lacey Chapel. When questioned, Elizabeth affected great surprise, and denied positively that there was any foundation for the idea that you were any other than her child. But notwithstanding her asseverations, I could see from her confused manner that there was more in the notion than she chose to admit, and I determined to have recourse to other means of arriving at the truth, little expecting my suspicions would be so soon confirmed by Mother Chattox. To my interrogation of that old woman you were yourself a party, and I am now rejoiced that you interfered to prevent me from prosecuting my inquiries to the utmost. There was one present from whom the secret of your birth must be strictly kept, at least for a while, and my impatience carried me too far. I only obeyed a natural impulse, madam, said Alison, but I am at a loss to conceive what claim I can possibly have to the consideration you show me. "'Listen to me, and you shall learn,' replied Mistress Nutter. "'It is a sad tale, and its recital will tear open old wounds, but it must not be withheld on that account. I do not ask you to bury the secrets I am about to impart in the recesses of your bosom. You will do so when you learn them without my telling you. 
"'When, little more than your age, I was wedded, "'but not to him I would have chosen "'if choice had been permitted me. "'The union, I need scarcely say, was unhappy, most unhappy, "'though my discomforts were scrupulously concealed, "'and I was looked upon as a devoted wife, "'and my husband as a model of conjugal affection.' but this was merely the surface internally all was strife and misery ere long my dislike of my husband increased to absolute hate while on his part though he still regarded me with as much passion as heretofore he became frantically jealous and above all of edward braddill of portfield who as his bosom friend and my distant relative was a frequent visitor at the house to relate the numerous exhibitions of jealousy that occurred would answer little purpose and it will be enough to say that not a word or look passed between edward and myself but it was misconstrued i took care never to be alone with our guest nor to give any just ground for suspicion but my caution availed nothing an easy remedy would have been to forbid edward the house but this my husband's pride rejected he preferred to endure the jealous torment occasioned by the presence of his wife's fancied lover and inflict needless anguish on her rather than brook the jeers of a few indifferent acquaintances the same feeling made him desire to keep up an apparent good understanding with me and so far i seconded his views for i shared in his pride if in nothing else our quarrels were all in private when no eye could see us no ear listen yours is a melancholy history madam remarked alison in a tone of profound interest you will think so ere i have done returned the lady sadly the only person in my confidence and aware of my secret sorrows was elizabeth device who with her husband john device then lived at rough lee serving me in the quality of tire-woman and personal assistant she could not be kept in ignorance of what took place and the poor soul offered me all the sympathy in her power much was it needed for i had no other sympathy after a while i knew not from what cause unless some imprudence on the part of edward braddill who was wild and reckless my husband conceived worse suspicions than ever of me and began to treat me with such harshness and cruelty that unable longer to endure his violence i appealed to my father but he was of a stern and arbitrary nature and having forced me into the match would not listen to my complaints but bade me submit it was my duty to do so he said and he added some cutting expressions to the effect that i deserved the treatment i experienced and dismissed me driven to desperation i sought counsel and assistance from one i should most have avoided from edward braddill and he proposed flight from my husband's roof flight with him but you were saved madam cried alison greatly shocked by the narration you were saved hear me out rejoined mistress nutter outraged as my feelings were and loathsome as my husband was to me 
I spurned the base proposal, and instantly quitted my false friend. Nor would I have seen him more, if permitted, but that secret interview with him was my first and last, for it had been witnessed by my husband.' "'Ha!' exclaimed Alison. "'Concealed behind the arras, Richard Nutter heard enough to confirm his worst suspicions,' pursued the lady, "'but he did not hear my justification.' He saw Edward Braddell at my feet. He heard him urge me to fly, but he did not wait to learn if I consented, and, looking upon me as guilty, left his hiding-place to take measures for frustrating the plan he supposed concerted between us. That night I was made prisoner in my room, and endured treatment the most inhuman. But a proposal was made by my husband that promised some alleviation of my suffering. Henceforth we were to meet only in public, when a semblance of affection was to be maintained on both sides. This was done, he said, to save my character and preserve his own name unspotted in the eyes of others, however tarnished it might be in his own. I willingly consented to the arrangement, and thus, for a brief space, I became tranquil, if not happy. But another and severer trial awaited me. "'Alas, madam!' exclaimed Alison, sympathisingly. "'My cup of sorrow, I thought, was full,' pursued Mistress Nutter. "'But the drop was wanting to make it overflow. It came soon enough.' Amidst my griefs I expected to be a mother, and with that thought how many fond and cheering anticipations mingled. In my child I hoped to find a balm for my woes, in its smiles and innocent endearments a compensation for the harshness and injustice I had experienced. How little did I foresee that it was to be a new instrument of torture to me, and that I should be cruelly robbed of the only blessing ever vouchsafed me! "'Did the child die, madam?' asked Alison. "'You shall hear,' replied Mistress Nutter. "'A daughter was born to me. I was made happy by its birth. A new existence, bright and unclouded, seemed dawning upon me.' but it was like a sunburst on a stormy day. Some two months before this event, Elizabeth Device had given birth to a daughter, and she now took my child under her fostering care, for weakness prevented me from affording it the support it is a mother's blessed privilege to bestow. She seemed as fond of it as myself, and never was babe more calculated to win love than my little Millicent. Oh, how shall I go on? The retrospect I am compelled to take is frightful, but I cannot shun it. The foul and false suspicions entertained by my husband began to settle on the child. He would not believe it to be his own. With violent oaths and threats he first announced his odious suspicions to Elizabeth Device, and she, full of terror, communicated them to me. The tidings filled me with inexpressible alarm, for I knew if the dread idea had once taken possession of him it would never be removed, while what he threatened would be executed. 
I would have fled at once with my poor babe if I had known where to go, but I had no place of shelter. It would be vain to seek refuge with my father, and I had no other relative or friend whom I could trust. Where, then, should I fly? At last I, I bethought me of a retreat, and arranged a plan of escape with Elizabeth Device. Vain were my precautions. On that very night I was startled from slumber by a sudden cry from the nurse who was seated by the fire with the child on her knees. It was long past midnight, and all the household were at rest. Two persons had entered the room. One was my ruthless husband, Richard Nutter. The other was John Device, a powerful, ruffianly fellow who planted himself near the door. Marching quickly towards Elizabeth, who had arisen on seeing him, my husband snatched the child from her before I could seize it, and, with a violent blow on the chest, felled me to the ground when I lay helpless, speechless. With reeling senses I heard Elizabeth cry out that it was her own child, and call upon her husband to save it. Richard Nutter paused, but reassured by a laugh of disbelief from his ruffianly follower, he told Elizabeth the pitiful excuse would not avail to save the brat. Then I saw a weapon gleam that was a feeble, piteous cry, a cry that might have moved a demon, but it did not move him. With wicked words and blood-imbrued hands he cast the body on the fire. The horrid sight was too much for me, and I became senseless. <gasps> a dreadful tale indeed, madam, cried Alison, frozen with horror. The crime was hidden, hidden from the eyes of men, but mark the retribution that followed, said Mistress Nutter, her eyes sparkling with vindictive joy. Of the two murderers, both perished miserably. John Device was drowned in a moss-pool. Richard Nutter's end was terrible, sharpened by the pangs of remorse, and marked by frightful suffering. But another dark event preceded his death, which may have laid a crime the more on his heavily burdened soul. Edward Bradill, the object of his jealousy and hate, suddenly sickened of a malady, so strange and fearful that all who saw him affirmed it was the result of witchcraft. None thought of my husband's agency in the dark affair except myself, but knowing he had held many secret conferences about the time with Mother Chattox, I more than suspected him. The sick man died, and from that hour Richard Nutter knew no rest. Ever on horseback or fiercely carousing, he sought in vain to stifle remorse. Visions scared him by night, and vague fears pursued him by day. He would start at shadows and talk wildly. To me his whole demeanour was altered, and he strove by every means in his power to win my love, but he could not give me back the treasure he had taken. He could not bring to life my murdered babe. Like his victim he fell ill on a sudden, and of a strange and terrible sickness. I saw he could not recover, and therefore tended him carefully. He died, and I shed no tear. "'Alas!' exclaimed Alison, "'though guilty, I cannot but compassionate him. 
"'You are right to do so, Alison,' said Mistress Nutter, rising while the young girl rose too, "'for he was your father.' "'My father!' she exclaimed in amazement. "'Then you are my mother?' "'I am,' replied Mistress Nutter, straining her to her bosom. "'Oh, my child, my dear child!' she cried. "'The voice of nature from the first pleaded deloquently in your behalf, and I should have been deaf to all impulses of affection if I had not listened to the call. I now trace in every feature the lineaments of the babe I thought was lost for ever. All is clear to me. The exclamation of Elizabeth Device, which, like my ruthless husband, I looked upon as an artifice to save the infant's life, I now find to be the truth. Her child perished instead of mine. How or why she exchanged the infants on that night remains to be explained, but that she did so is certain, while that she should afterwards conceal the circumstance is easily comprehended. From a natural dread of her own husband as well as of mine, it is possible that from some cause she may still deny the truth but I can make it her interest to speak plainly. The main difficulty will lie in my public acknowledgment of you, but at whatever cost it shall be made. Oh, consider it well, said Alison. I will be your daughter in love, in duty, in all but name, but sully not my poor father's honour, which even at the peril of his soul he sought to maintain. How can I be owned as your daughter without involving the discovery of this tragic history? You are right, Alison, rejoined Mistress Nutter, thoughtfully. It will bring the dark deed to light, but you shall never return to Elizabeth Device. You shall go with me to Rough Lee and take up your abode in the house where I was once so wretched, but where I shall now be full of happiness with you. "'You shall see the dark spots on the hearth which I took to be your blood.' "'If not mine, it was blood spilt by my father,' said Alison, with a shudder. "'Was it fancy, or did a low groan break upon her ear? "'It must be imaginary, for Mistress Nutter seemed unconscious of the dismal sound. "'It was now growing rapidly dark, and the more distant objects in the room were wrapped in obscurity.' but Alison's gaze rested on the two monkish figures supporting the wardrobe. "'Look there, mother,' she said to Mistress Nutter. "'Where?' cried the lady, turning round quickly. Uh, "'I see. You alarm yourself needlessly, my child. Those are only carved figures of the two brethren of the Abbey. They are said, I know not with what truth, to be statues of John Paslew and Borlace Alverton.' "'I thought they stirred,' said Alison. "'It was mere fancy,' replied Mistress Nutter. "'Calm yourself, sweet child. "'Let us think of other things, of our newly discovered relationships. "'Henceforth to me you are Millicent Nutter, "'though to others you must still be Alison Device. "'My sweet Millicent,' she cried, embracing her again and again, "'ah, oh, little, little did I think to see you more.' Alison's fears were speedily chased away. "'Forgive me, dear mother,' she cried, "'if I have failed to express the full delight I experience in my restitution to you. The shock of your sad tale at first deadened my joy, 
while the suddenness of the information respecting myself so overwhelmed me that, like one chancing upon a hidden treasure and gazing at it confounded, I was unable to credit my own good fortune. Even now I am quite bewildered, and no wonder, for many thoughts each of different import throng upon me, independently of the pleasure and natural pride I must feel in being acknowledged by you as a daughter. It is a source of the deepest satisfaction to me to know that I am not in any way connected with Elizabeth Device, not from her humble station, for poverty weighs little with me in comparison with virtue and goodness, but from her sinfulness. You know the dark offence laid to her charge. I do, replied Mistress Nutter, in low, deep tone, but I do not believe it. Nor I, returned Alison. Still, she acts as if she were the wicked thing she is called avoids all religious offices, shuns all places of worship, and derides the holy scriptures. Oh, mother, you will comprehend the frequent conflict of feelings I must have endured. You will understand my horror when I have sometimes thought myself the daughter of a witch. Why did you not leave her if you thought so? said Mistress Nutter, frowning. I could not leave her, replied Alison, for I then thought her my mother. Mistress Nutter fell upon her daughter's neck, and wept aloud. "'You have an excellent heart, my child,' she said at length, checking her emotion. "'I have nothing to complain of in Elizabeth's device, dear mother,' she replied. "'What she denied herself she did not refuse me, and though I have necessarily many and great deficiencies, you will find in me, I trust, no evil principles.' "'And, oh, should we not strive to rescue that poor benighted creature from the pit?' "'We may yet save her.' "'It is too late,' replied Mistress Nutter, in a sombre tone. "'It cannot be too late,' said Alison, confidently. "'She cannot be beyond redemption. "'But even if she should prove intractable, "'poor little Janet may be preserved. "'She is yet a child with some good, "'though, alas, much evil also, in her nature. "'Let our united efforts be exerted in this good work, "'and we must succeed.' The weeds extirpated, the flowers will spring up freely and bloom in beauty. "'I can have nothing to do with her,' said Mistress Nutter, in a freezing tone. "'Nor must you.' "'Oh, say not so, mother,' cried Alison. "'You rob me of half the happiness I feel in being restored to you. When I was Janet's sister, I devoted myself to the task of reclaiming her. I hoped to be her guardian angel, to step between her and the assaults of evil, and I cannot, will not, now abandon her. If no longer my sister, she is still dear to me, and recollect that I owe a deep debt of gratitude to her mother, a debt I can never pay.' "'How so?' cried Mistress Nutter. "'You owe her nothing, but the contrary.' "'I owe her a life.' said Alison. Was not her infant's blood poured out for mine? And shall I not save the child left her if I can? I shall not oppose your inclinations, replied Mistress Nutter, with reluctant assent, but Elizabeth, I suspect, will thank you little for your interference. Not now, perhaps, returned Alison, but a time will come when she will do so. While this conversation took place, it had been rapidly growing dark and the gloom at length increased so much that the speakers could scarcely see each other's faces. The sudden and portentous darkness was accounted for by a vivid flash of lightning, 
followed by a low growl of thunder rumbling over Whaley Nab. The mother and daughter drew close together, and Mistress Nutter passed her arm round Alison's neck. The storm came quickly on, with forked and dangerous lightning, and loud claps of thunder threatening mischief. Presently all its fury seemed collected over the abbey, the red flashes hissed and the peals of thunder rolled overhead. But other terrors were added to Alison's natural dread of the elemental warfare. Again she fancied the two monkish figures, which had before excited her alarm, moved, and even shook their arms menacingly at her. At first she attributed this wild idea to her overwrought imagination, and strove to convince herself of its fallacy by keeping her eyes steadily fixed upon them but each succeeding flash only served to confirm her superstitious apprehensions. Another circumstance contributed to heighten her alarm. Scared, most probably by the storm, a large white owl fluttered down the chimney, and after wheeling twice or thrice round the chamber, settled upon the bed, hooting, puffing, ruffling its feathers, and glaring at her with eyes that glowed like fiery coals. Mistress Nutter seemed little moved by the storm, though she kept a profound silence. But when Alison gazed in her face, she was frightened by its expression, which reminded her of the terrible aspect she had worn at the interview with Mother Chattox. All at once Mistress Nutter arose, and, rapid as the lightning playing around her and revealing her movements, made several passes with extended hands over her daughter, and on this the latter instantly fell back as if fainting, though still retaining her consciousness, and what was stranger still, though her eyes were closed, her power of sight remained. In this condition she fancied invisible forms were moving about her. Strange sounds seemed to salute her ears, like the gibbering of ghosts, and she thought she felt the flapping of unseen wings around her. All at once her attention was drawn, she knew not why, towards the closet, and from out of it she fancied she saw issue the tall, dark figure of a man. She was sure she saw him, for her imagination could not body forth features charged with such a fiendish expression, or eyes of such unearthly lustre. He was clothed in black, but the fashion of his raiments was unlike aught she had ever seen. His stature was gigantic, and a pale phosphoric light enshrouded him. As he advanced, forked lightnings shot into the room, and the thunder split overhead. The owl hooted fearfully, quitted its perch, and flew off by the way it had entered the chamber. The dark shape came on. It stood beside Mistress Nutter, and she prostrated herself before it. The gestures of the figure were angry and imperious, those of Mistress Nutter supplicating. Their converse was drowned by the rattling of the storm. At last the figure pointed to Alison, and the word, Midnight, broke in tones louder than thunder from its lips. All consciousness then forsook her. How long she continued in this state she knew not, but the touch of a finger applied to her brow seemed to recall her suddenly to animation. She heaved a deep sigh and looked around. A wondrous change had occurred. The storm had passed off, and the moon was shining brightly over the top of the cypress tree, flooding the chamber with its gentle radiance, while her mother was bending over her with looks of tenderest affection. "'You are better now, sweet child,' said Mistress Nutter. "'You were overcome by the storm. It was sudden and terrible.' "'Terrible, indeed,' 
replied Alison, imperfectly recalling what had passed. But it was not alone the storm that frightened me. This chamber has been invaded by evil things. Methought I beheld a dark figure come from out yon closet and stand before you. You have been thrown into a state of stupor by the influences of the electric fluid, replied Mistress Nutter, and while in that condition visions have passed through your brain. That is all, my child. Oh, I hope so, said Alison. Such ecstasies are of frequent occurrence, replied Mistress Nutter. But since you are quite recovered, we will descend to Lady Asherton, who may wonder at our absence. You will share this room with me to-night, my child, for, as I have already said, you cannot return to Elizabeth Device. I will make all needful explanations to Lady Asherton, and will see Elizabeth in the morning, perhaps to-night. Reassure yourself, sweet child. There is nothing to fear.' "'I trust not, mother,' replied Alison. "'But it would ease my mind to look into that closet.' "'Do so, then, by all means,' replied Mistress Nutter, with a forced smile. Alison peeped timorously into the little room, which was lighted up by the moon's rays. There was a faded white habit, like the robe of a Cistercian monk, hanging in one corner, and beneath it an old chest. Alison would fain have opened the chest, but Mistress Nutter called out to her impatiently. "'You will discover nothing, I am sure. Come, let us go downstairs.' and they quitted the room together. End of chapter 8